You know, I want to tell you, I am so happy to be here with you guys today. I, I really am. Uh, today, well, let me introduce myself. My name is Justin. I get to be one of the pastors on staff here. And today we're going to continue in our series, Relationship Goals. And today uh, we're going to be looking at the goal of marriage. And before some of you tune me out and say, well, that's not for me, uh, you might be someday, right? And so we want to walk into this, understand that, hey, there, there are, we all have relationships and we want to grow in those relationships and marriage might be one in the future for you. And if you listen today, there might be some things that you learn that are going to help you out in a future marriage. But some of you are here and saying, hey, that's just not for me uh, for a variety of different reasons. And that's okay. But what I'm going to ask you to do is will you still listen in because maybe you'll learn something that you can come alongside and encourage another marriage. Because, see, that's what the church is, right? It's not just about what this does for me. It's about how do we work together as a whole. And so even though marriage might not be for you, maybe it's a way that you can come alongside someone else. Maybe it's a way that you can care for someone else. So before we get uh, too far in today, let me tell you a little bit about myself. Lindsay and I have been married for 18 years now. And uh, um, about 20 years ago, she was 18 and I was 19. And we had this goal in our life. And the goal was we wanted to be married I could not wait for the day that I got to call her my wife. I, we, we so desperately wanted to get married. But we didn't know how to get there. We had the goal, but we didn't know how to get there. So we went to, and talked to my parents, actually. And they said, you are out of your mind. Like, no, absolutely not. That's actually not what they said at all. They, they were very encouraging. They were very helpful. And I can remember they sat us down at their kitchen table and they walked us through. They gave us some guidance and some direction and some goals, some other goals to work on. They helped walk us through the practicalities and the logistics of it. And you know what happened uh, under two years later? Lindsay and I met that goal. We got married. It was awesome. It was unbelievable. It was the best thing ever, right? And it was, it was absolutely amazing. I couldn't wait to get back to work and start telling people about my wife, right? The guys at work probably hated my guts because they're like, this guy won't shut up. But I couldn't wait for it. But here's the thing that we did, and I think oftentimes some, some, a bunch of us do, is we set goals to get to the marriage but we didn't necessarily set goals beyond the wedding, right? We set goals to get to that day. We set a ton of goals about that day, but we don't necessarily set goals beyond that. Maybe the first month, how are we going to survive? What are some of the things we're going to do? What's our honeymoon going to look like? And then maybe even for some of us, we get as far as the first year and we think about what will that look? How are we going to do things? But then for the long term, after that, the, the lifelong that follows, sometimes we struggle at setting the goals that, that follow. And that's what we're going to be looking at today. Because see, what happened to Lindsay and I is we were, we were young. This was the first time that either one of us was ever out on our own. And you know the first time that you were out on your own, what happened? You don't have any rules. You do whatever you want. We were out of the tyranny, right? We, we could do whatever we want. So what did we do? We stayed up all night, every night, right? We did whatever we wanted, whenever we wanted. We ate trash food like all the time. And you know what ended up happening? We got about three weeks into it and we're like, we feel horrible. We feel disgusting. Something needs to change, and it needs to change really soon. See, what we realized is when we started doing everything our own way, that it wasn't working out all that well. And that's what we're going to be looking at today, that we experience the best marriage when we do it God's way and not our own way. 
See, oftentimes we have so many plans and so many ideas, but we forget to center our marriage around God. And that's what we're going to be looking through today. And we're going to be looking into the Scriptures because how else would we know what God's way is? So head to Matthew 19 in your Bibles. We're going to be jumping around a little bit. So just like in the previous week, take some notes of the references. So that way you can look back on them in the coming weeks. But we're going to start here in Matthew 19. And what's happening is Jesus is speaking to the Pharisees and they're talking to him about marriage. And actually, more specifically, they're talking to him about divorce. And here's what Jesus says to them at one point. Jesus says, this explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife. The two are united into one. He says there, there's this joining that happens. There's this unity that happens. That two become one. Two become one. Can we all say that? Two become one. See, what happens is exactly that. But unfortunately, what often happens in our culture now is it's not about two becoming one. It's not about oneness. But it's about one space. And so we have one space and we try and see if we can take my personality and my lifestyle and my hobbies and the things that I like and can that fit in the same space as your personality and your hobbies and your lifestyle and the things that you do. And what happens is when you fit two things in an enclosed space, they rub up against each other. There's tension that forms there. There's friction that's happening in that relationship. But Jesus says it wasn't about fitting two things into one space. He goes back, this is actually Jesus going back to the purpose of marriage. He's quoting Genesis chapter 2. He says the purpose isn't about fitting two things in one space. The purpose is about two becoming one. So that when one of you thinks one way, the other is in agreement. That when you want to spend your time in one sort of way, that you are together on it. And it, it filters into all areas of our lives. So it's the way we spend our time. It's the way we spend our money. It's the way that we approach our parenting. It's the way that we look at different goals and set those goals that two have become one, that there's unity in those things. Jesus says that this is what should happen. This is what our marriages should look like. So that's our first goal, that in my marriage, I'm going to work for oneness. That should be a goal in our marriages. And what working for oneness means, it means that there's effort behind it. It means that sometimes we have to make an adjustment for that to be able to happen. Because I might like one thing and Lindsay might like another one, but we're, I'm going to have to change. I'm going to have to change to make sure that our time fits together, that our schedules are aligned, that our parenting goals are similar. And that might mean that I need to do some work, that I need to do some change. I mean, and here's, I, I want to point this out, right? I'm saying I am going to, right? This is not, I'm trying not to give you guys ammunition when you get in the car and see, see, we're supposed to be working for oneness, right? Look what you're not doing. This is not about arming you guys for the argument that's going to come later. This is about the work that you need to do in you. It has to be, it has to be you. You can't go and tell someone else what they need to do and how they're falling short. It has to start with you. So in my marriage, I'm going to work for oneness. I'm going to do everything I can to make sure that Lindsay and I are one. Everything on my part. Jesus goes on. He says, since they are no longer two but one, let no one split apart. Look at this. What God has joined together. See, God is a part of your marriage. If you are both Christ followers and you entered into a marriage, that's what we call a covenant relationship. It's a sacred relationship. See, what's happened in that relationship is you and that other person have made a covenant, a commitment, a promise to one another. 
And, and those promises lined up with your vow. Remember your vows that you said? Some of you don't. They're like, I have no clue what my vows were, right? Because it's so long ago. Remember what your vows were? That's the commitment that you made to one another. But you haven't just made that covenant with each other. But it's that the two of you, before God and to God, have made that covenant, that commitment, that promise. And God is at the center of your marriage. At least he should be. So Jesus says, don't ever split apart what God has joined together because that's a strong bond. That's an important bond. And what happens when you, when you break that bond is there's damage and there's hurt and there's pain and there's a mess that comes with it. I, I understand. I know. I want you guys to hear me. I know some of you have gone through this or are going through this. I want you to hear from me. I'm sorry that that's your experience. I really am. But I also want you to know that God does not leave this even though maybe that relationship has been broken. God will continue to be there and give, what, give you what you need to move on and to move forward in your life and in your future relationships. And so I know it's come with pain. I know it comes with hurt. But Jesus still gives us this idea that we, we need to do everything we can so we don't get to that point. We have to keep trying towards it. And I, I hear, some of you are on the brink right now. And you say, oh, it would just be so much easier. It would be so much cleaner if we, if we just ended it. And I know sometimes divorce looks like a clean thing because it's paperwork now, right? That's how it happens. And so you just go to the lawyer's office and they turn page after page after page and it looks clean. But when you break what God has joined, when you split apart what God has joined, when you break something that's bonded together, a part of you goes with that other person forever and a part of them stays with you and then there's other pieces that just fall to the wayside. Jesus says, don't ever split apart what God has joined together. We've seen what Jesus has said about marriage. Let's take a turn and let's look at what Paul has to say about marriages. So go to Ephesians 5, and here's where we're starting. Paul is speaking to the church in Ephesus, and he's, he's speaking to the church as a whole, but then there's this kind of transition point where he gets, where he, he dives into husband and wife relationships. And here's what he says. He says, further, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ, out of your respect and love for Jesus, submit to one another. He says, as a church, we should all be able to do that to each other. But then, obviously, if we can do that to each other, we should be able to do that in our husband and wife relationships. We should be able to submit to one another. We should be able to put the other person first. We should be able to yield ourselves to their wants and to their desires. We're going to say it like this. Here's our second goal. That in my marriage, I'm going to put the other person first. In my marriage, I'm going to put the other person first. See, in, in, in our marriages, we have to be willing to do that. We have to be willing to, to give of ourselves. We have to be, and this is not, like, you guys are like, oh, yeah, obviously, Justin, right? Um, we all know it, but are we all willing to do it? We have to be willing to take that step and to, to put the other person first, to put their wants and needs and desires before our own, and to lay ourselves down at times. Now, I don't want to just say this. I want to give you a, a really quick, and in some of these schools, I'm going to give you really quick practical ideas of how to do this. What if for us, what if, what if Hope Church, what if we got really good at apologizing? 
See, we, we all have this thing inside of us called pride. And what happens is when we get into disagreements or arguments or just differences of opinion, we always want to come out on top. And because we always want to come out on top, we will do anything we can until the very end to show someone how right we are. But what if we could just own that we were wrong? Think of how much stronger our marriages would be as a result of that because the other person would feel cared for because they would understand that you're willing to lay yourself down or your opinion down or your, your, your thoughts down so that way you could grow together. What if we got better at apologizing? See, we all have disagreements. Lindsay and I have arguments and differences and, and just disagreements. And I'll tell you what, I've gotten really good at apologizing over these past 18 years because I've had to do a whole lot of it. And what if, what if you did that? What if you were able to come back and say to your husband or your wife, hey, I am so sorry. I know that I hurt you. I know that I should have never said the things that I said. Will you forgive me? What if you were actually able to make that a regular practice in your relationship? Put the other person first in that way. And be careful with your apologies. Don't fall, please don't fall into the, I'm sorry, but it wasn't my intention, but I didn't mean to. Any healthy relationship, obviously you didn't mean to hurt the other person. It's not, it's not making an excuse for why you hurt the other person. It's acknowledging that you did. And so no... I'm sorry, but, but if you didn't do this, trying to shift the blame back onto them, because that's still your pride trying to sneak out. What if it was just, hey, I'm sorry. I know I said things I shouldn't have said. And I know that that was so hurtful to you. Will you forgive me? And just end it there. And if we can get better at apologizing, we will get better in our marriages. Here's how Paul get, goes on, though, because I know some of you are saying, well, hold on, there's more to this mutual submission thing than what you're saying. There is, so let's keep going. Paul goes on, he says, For wives, this means submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For a husband is the head of his wife, as Christ is the head of the church. He is the savior of his body, the church. As the, as the church submits to Christ, so you wives should submit to your husbands in everything. Now, I want to tell you something about this verse because I, I, I've seen this verse used in just ways that make me really sad. And what I've seen is I've seen husbands take this and hold it over their wives' heads and say, hey, you're supposed to be listening to me. You're supposed to do what I tell you to do. You're supposed to do all these different things because that's what I've asked. And that makes me sad because I, I don't think that was Paul's intent here at all. Not at all. In fact, I think if you look at Paul's intent, what did he do? He aligned husbands and wives to the church and Christ. And so he, he points out, what did Jesus do for the church? Jesus gave up everything for the church. He submitted himself for the betterment of the church. Jesus, I, I don't know about you, but I am willing to follow Jesus anywhere. He's, I'm willing to do whatever he's asked me to do. I, I want to see the things that he has in store for me. I want to see the different opportunities that he has lined up for me. Why? Because I know how much he loves me. I know how much he's given up for me. I know that he gave his life for me. And so I will follow Jesus anywhere. So husbands, if you think that this means your wife should just do everything that you want them to do, you better start looking a lot more like Jesus. And I don't mean the long flowing hair and the beautiful bushy beard, right? I mean that you better start acting a lot more like Jesus. 
It should be easy for this relationship to happen and for one another to follow each other because there's a submission. Jesus submitted everything for us. He gave up everything for us. And so this is not about one person submitting over the other. This is about both ways, both directions. Here's how he goes on. For husbands, this means love your wives just as Christ loved the church. He gave up his life for her, to make her holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of God's word. He did this to present her to himself as a glorious church without a spot or wrinkle or any other blemish. Instead, she will be holy and without fault. What what if, as husbands, we did everything we could to help our wives grow closer to Jesus? that we showed them love and sacrifice of ourselves to make sure that their relationship with God, that they would understand deeply and truly how much God really loves them and cares for them. What if that was our goal in our marriage? See, I, I think Paul is speaking much more to the husbands here than he is to the wives. So husbands, I want to challenge you. I want you to think about this. How, how are you living your life in a way that's going to help your wife grow closer her heavenly father. Paul goes on. He says, In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as they love their own bodies, for a man who loves his wife actually shows love for himself. There's a whole lot of love going on in this verse, right? And so uh, here's what's really neat about this, though, is the word love that Paul uses. It's this Greek word, agapeo. It's the verb form of this word agape, which is God's sacrificial, unconditional love. And you say, I know that word. I've heard that word before. That's because if you go back in time to 1988 or 1993 or 2006 or whenever you got married, you had your 10-year-old niece come up and she read this verse. She said, I should have had a 10-year-old come up here and read this. She said, love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It's not irritable and it keeps no record of being wronged. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. This is sacrificial, unconditional love. Paul says this is the way we're supposed to love each other. He says love never gives up. It never loses faith. It's always hopeful and it endures through every single circumstance. So those mornings that you wake up and you see your spouse and you say, I wish I didn't see them right now, you're still supposed to choose to love them because you've heard us say this so many times at Hope Church, that love is a choice. And it's a choice that you need to make each and every day. And so there are going to be days where you can't stand your husband or your wife. There's going to be days where you wish that you didn't even have to look at their face because it's so annoying, right? But you are going to choose to love them and not just love them, but this unconditional, sacrificial love. So even though they're making me so mad right now, I'm willing to give of myself. I'm willing to sacrifice for them. I am willing to submit myself for them and for our relationship and for their relationship with God. I'm going to love them that way. That's the way that Paul's saying that we should be loving each other as husbands and wives. Now let's go back to Ephesians 5. Paul says no one hates his own body, but he feeds it and cares for it just as Christ cares for the church. He, you value your spouse. And because you value your spouse, I want to take us to this third goal, that in my marriage, I'm going to give honor to my spouse. You know, last week Rick talked a lot about honor and just a family relationship. He talked about how, as kids, we can honor our parents. He talked about how we need to give honor to the other people in our relationship, too. 
Parents, can I just tell you this? Your children will never learn how to honor you unless they see mom and dad honoring each other. We need to give honor to our spouses. So a couple practical ways we can do that. You give honor to your husband or to your wife by the way that you talk about them when they're not around. And so if they're not there, you're not talking trash behind their back. And I know sometimes that's easy because you're hanging out with the guys or the the ladies or you're at work and everyone's complaining about how their spouse is and you can just jump right into that. But you know what? In my marriage, that's not going to happen. I can tell you with confidence that I am not going to speak badly behind Lindsay's back. And if I do talk about her when she's not there, it's going to be in a positive way. I can say that with confidence because that's a rule that I have in my life and I follow that rule. And I can trust that she's going to do the same thing back for me. I'm going to give honor to her. I'm going to tell you how amazing she is. I'm going to tell you about her character. I'm going to tell you about her personality. I'm going to tell you about her faith because she's got faith that I could only dream of having. When she's not there, I'm going to give honor by the way that I talk about her when she's not there. What if we started doing that? What if we got better? And that means when you're with the guys and they're all talking trash and you can say, man, I feel bad for you guys. You know, and you, you just change the dynamic of that space, right? Yeah, that, that stinks for you, but my wife's amazing. And everyone hates you, and that's okay, because your wife loves you, and that's what matters, right? Let's get better about how we talk about our husband or our wife when they're not there. Another practical way that we can give honor to our spouse. You're not going to like this one. I'm going to tell you right now. We can give honor to our spouse by giving honor to our in-laws. We give honor to our spouse by giving honor to our in-laws. And here's why. Let's break this down really simple. Your in-laws were the first person that your spouse ever experienced love from, more than likely. And at the same time, they were the first person that your spouse ever expressed love to. More than likely. I, I know, not every single situation, but more than likely. And so when you talk trash about your in-laws... You're talking trash about someone that means a whole lot to your spouse. And I I get it. As as you've grown older, you've noticed things about, you know, your spouse has noticed things about their parents that maybe they have different problems or situations or vices or addictions or just a toxic behavior. I get all that comes into play. Trust me, I understand that more than you'll ever know. I I understand that. But we still need to give honor to our in-laws because we don't want to chip away at our wives or our husbands' hearts by talking trash about their parents. And I know that can happen. I know that's a real thing. And so I'm asking, give honor to your spouse by giving honor to your in-laws. Here, we're going to take one last turn here. We'll wrap up here. Second uh, Timothy chapter 4. This is something that I walk through when I do premarital counseling here at the church. This is one of the, the last things that I walk through. And here's what's happening. Paul is at the end of his lifetime, and he's talking to Timothy, and here's what he says to, to, to Timothy. He says, As for me, Timothy, my life has already been poured out as an offering to God. The time of my death is near. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race, and I have remained faithful. 
Now, I'm going to be honest with you. When The first time I read this passage, I was like 17 years old. I was new to my faith. And I read this and I said, this guy Paul is so arrogant. Look at what he thinks of himself. Look at how great he thinks he is. And it bothered me because it didn't line up with what I knew about my faith and what I was learning about my faith and what people were teaching me about Paul. It just didn't make sense. So I I kept reading it and rereading it. And I finally got to this point where I understood Paul wasn't being arrogant, but what Paul had was a great self-awareness of himself and the way that he had lived out his life. A great self-awareness. And so when he got to the end of his life, He could say, hey, I've already poured it all out. I've already given everything that I have. And what I want us to do is I want us to be able to draw the connection that this is the way that we can live in our marriages as well. And so here's our last goal for today. That in my marriage, I'm going to give it everything I have. See, it's my goal. This This is a personal goal that I have. See, I want to get... Someday, to the point where where I'm on my deathbed and I'm looking up at Lindsay, because I'm going to die first, because I have to die first, because I could never survive without her. But when I'm looking up at her, I'm going to know, with no doubts in my mind, that I have given it everything I have. I want to I be able to have the self-awareness to understand that I have done everything I could, that I have no regrets about how our marriage has played out. So when I get to the end, that's what I hope for. There are going to be times where you give it everything that you have and the other person doesn't, and they let you down. But I'm still going to give it everything that I have. There are going to be times in your life, whether it's because of your marriage or an outside circumstance, that it's actually would be easier if you weren't married. But I'm going to give it everything I have in those moments. There are going to be times where it's just so hard and so messy that you don't want anything to do with the other person. But I'm going to give it everything I have because I want to get to the end and I want to have that self-awareness. I want to be able to say, I have given everything I have to my relationship with Jesus and I have given everything I have to my relationship with my wife. What I'm asking is, will you share in this goal with me? If you're married right now or or someday you're married, would you make this a personal goal of yours that when I get to the end, I'm going to know, I'm going to have this confidence, I'm going to have this self-awareness that I've given it absolutely everything I have. And if that's where you're at, let's walk into some next steps that you can take into and put in that action this week. So go ahead, take that connection card that's on the seat in front of you, uh, or you can use your church center app, but let's walk through these together. There's three of them today. The first is that we're going to register for the Marriage of Your Dreams conference that's happening this Friday and Saturday, February 2nd and 3rd. Please come be a part of this, register for this. There are 12, uh, 12 spaces left for couples right now. So if you haven't registered yet, you need to do that. Also, today is the last day to register. So don't think that I'm going to put it off until tomorrow because tomorrow will be too late. You need to register today because they need to order food tomorrow. I heard the food's going to be pretty good. So if it's like a wedding that you're going to and you're like, I really don't care about what's going on there, but let's go get a meal. The food will be solid. Please don't come just for the meal though. Uh, We'd love to have you actually get some tools that are going to help you 
in your relationship and in your marriage. Uh, this, this is also, if you're engaged, come be a part of this. This would be a great starting point for you. We'd love to have you guys there. Again, there's 12 spots left. You have to register today. Uh, so please go ahead and do that. Here's our second next step. That my spouse and I are not one. We're going to have a conversation to see what it's going to take to get us on the same page. Remember we talked about two people just living in the same space, but you're not actually meshed together. You're not joined together. Would you talk this week and and would you work through that this week and actually learn what it's going to take for the two of you to become one? And maybe that means just more of those regular conversations where you're talking to one another and you're, you're aligning yourselves and your calendar and your schedule and your goals. But maybe it's about making a change somewhere. Maybe it's about bringing in someone else to help counsel. There's nothing wrong with that. In fact, that's a great thing if you recognize that that's what you need. But get that help from a trusted person. But would you take that step and would you just start by talking to each other and and seeing what it's going to take to get you guys aligned and to to work for oneness. And here's our last next step. That today, I'm going to start praying more consistently for my marriage, my future marriage, or a friend's marriage. Would you pray consistently for your husband or your wife? Don't wait until things get bad. Don't wait until things get tough, but pray for them each and every day. Make that a consistent part of your prayer life. But maybe you need to pray for that person that you hope to marry. Not like weird, like the, I, there's this one person in mind, right? But like, like the, whoever God may have for you, okay? Um, but, but maybe you need to pray for that person and what God's going to do there. Or maybe you just need to come alongside someone else in prayer and pray for their marriage. But can I, can I do this? Can I just pray for our marriages as a church? Jesus, um, we say thank you for how you have shown us that sacrificial, unconditional love. We are so grateful for that. And we want to get better at putting that into practice in our marriages. So would you help us each and every day to make that choice to love our wives, to love our husbands, and to show them that same unconditional, sacrificial love. God, help us grow in this way. Help us to work past our differences. Help us to put the other person first and to give honor to them. We pray that you would make this possible in our lives, and we pray this in Jesus' name.